Thanks, Nathan. Good morning, Bethany Greenlake. My name's Scott, I'm senior pastor of the church and get to be with you all about once a month. It's a real joy to launch a new sermon series on 1 John called simply Love God, Love Others. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for a moment to consider your scriptures and to consider what you wanna say to us as your people. God, we pray that you would open up our eyes and our ears and mostly our hearts to experience where you want to speak to us today. Move us as a people, God, who know, again, how to love you and love each other. May we walk in the light, God, and walk together. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, uh, our text is 1 John chapter 1. We are going to spend five weeks in a five-chapter book, and each week we'll be just unpacking a different chapter, so if you want to be reading along with us. Our message today is titled simply, Walk in the Light, as I teach all of these 10 verses from 1 John 1. Walk in the Light. Uh, I am a youth basketball coach. You've probably heard of uh, Edmonds Royals. We're 3-0 and in the Snow King Youth Division. <laughs> kind of a big deal. And uh, our name was the Layup Leprechauns last year when we had green jerseys. We had an identity crisis when our jerseys turned blue this year, but we, we pivoted to the Royals. We're good. But it was our second game in the first quarter, and the boys started without any actual effort. Uh, perseverance, grit. We had won big in game one. Second game, we were just getting walloped. And the quarter ends, and I call the boys over, and it's 10 to 1. And this is a big deal, because in, in our league, to score, for fourth graders to score 25, 30 points is about all you're going to get. So we're down, we're down by you know, 10 to 1. I look at the boys, and I look over, and the boys are like, they're doing the gritty. Like the boys who'd been on the stage now, like they're on the bench. Now they get to go into the game. And so they're dancing and carrying on. I'm like, no, 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 no. Come here, come here. You guys, we're losing, so we're not dancing. Like we're actually losing bad, and your coach is embarrassed. So we got two options. One is pretend we're not losing, or like we can work harder. We could take a, you know, take a look at the actual scoreboard. We can rebound. We can work hard. We can do this. And their coach just called me funny looking. He said I was ugly. And the boys are like, what? We'll kill him. I'm like, no, just joking. But that's the kind of attitude I want. Okay? So when we come into situations where we're missing the mark, where we're like down in life, where we are seeing more darkness than light, when we feel like we're losing the game, we have options. One, gritty, like we just don't see what's happening. For those of you over a certain age, it is the dance move of like every fourth grader right now. Um, or the alternative that John is gonna lead us into is tell the truth. Take a look in the mirror. Take stock of what's working and come back to a center point that is the foundation of life in Christ. And in this regard, this book is God's message for us as a people right now. This series, First John, I'm so excited about. And one of the things that we do as a teaching team is we study each week and we gather from all the different locations. And, and Pastor Richard gave me this advice when we were looking at First John. He said, you know, We've never done First John in my whole tenure at Bethany. And I don't know why. We've done other, you know, lots of other books and lots of other different angles, but this feels really fresh right now. Because what John calls us to in First in John is kind of a back to the basics. It's like pay attention to what's not working. Get back to the center point 
And, and maybe we've drifted as a, as a people. And John is calling us back to the foundation. He's saying like, it's, you know, some of us are in places where we're stuck. Certainly as a culture, we're stuck in places of darkness, but even individually. So this is a wake-up call to the church that we were created for love and to love others. And in that regard, 1 John is a call back to the foundations, a back to the basics. The early church, they were not about the Roman rule or the Jewish religion. They said, hey, in Christ, there's something new God wants to do with us as people coming together under the love of God. And so in the early churches, people came to Christ, they confessed sin, they were baptized, they joined in fellowship. They became God's beloved community. Or as 1 John says, they walked in the light. And so to walk in the light, we're gonna spend the next five weeks going under, but just at a high level, to walk in the light is to acknowledge the dark and broken and stuck spots and then move as a people, move as a church, move us back to the center point that is Christ. And the Bible is really clear that forgiveness awaits any and all that want to bring things into the light. First uh, John is a message in for people who need good news. First John is a message for people whose lives matter deeply to the heart of God, that the way in which they walk their faith matters. First John is a reminder that sin has a way of distorting our primary relationships with God and with each other. First John is a letter to bring us back to the center point. And, and to get back to loving God and loving others and the distractions from that centered, set faith. We must, says John, live into the, walk in the light and live out our primary calling. Because the best journeys in Christ are the ones cast free from slavery to sin in order to be anchored in the love of God and fellowship with others. And so in order to walk in the light, and we're gonna look at these three things this morning. It's in your bulletin, but for those of you at home, uh, in order to walk in the light, we must start with the radical love of Jesus. Uh, then we must commit to walking in the light the way we walk matters. And third, practice the move towards freedom. So let's begin here with starting with the radical love of Christ. I read to you now the first four verses of 1 John 1, and I plan to teach all 10 verses here. That, that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, which our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. And so John begins here, and John is the writer of the Gospel of John, writer of Revelation, writer of 1, 2, and 3 John. This is who John says is the foundation of the focus. I'm writing about what we've seen, heard, meditated upon, and even touched. It becomes more and more intimate, moving to the center. We live life with Jesus. It's a nod to the Gospel of John, which begins, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so John is reminding us, the Word is Jesus. He's like, and this is who wrote it. I am the disciple who Jesus loved. He, John oversaw house churches, likely in the area around Ephesus, mostly Jewish believers who had recently been through very hard times and were beginning to fracture. John says, this is who we're writing to. People who have broken off from the church. Disunity is a growing thing. There's a hostility in God's people. 
And so he's writing this sermon to inspire them to come back to the center point that is love God, love others. And that's really why 1 John is written. It's a back to the basics, to the people of faith, saying this is the core message. Jesus, relationships, discipleship, confession. And it's not a letter as much as a sermon sent to churches struggling to rebuild their fellowship. And it's this reminder to stay true to what you've already been given. Stay true to who you already are. It's not linear like a gospel, and it's not logical like Romans. It's, it's simple imagery, First John is, between light and dark, love and evil, ideas of life and truth and love that John will cycle around and around. This letter has the basics of faith in four words, love, God, love, others. And when we have a faith like this, we have true fellowship. Fellowship, used four times in chapter one. The Greek word for fellowship here is koinonia, which means friendship, participation, to share in the good news. 40% of the verses of 1 John chapter one talk about this kind of fellowship. The book is about relationships, loving God and loving others is, because the heart of our faith is relational. The Trinity is a relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that never leaves, never departs, always serves, always praises and worships. And so as believers, we are called to enter into deeper relationships. And friends, just remember, God didn't come to earth as Jesus Christ just to someday get us to heaven. Instead, he came down to get heaven into us. This is the starting point, this theology of relationship which beckons us in. I learned a lot about this Christology of this kind of Christ-centered theology at Whitworth University from one of my professors, Jerry Sitzer. And Jerry taught me a lot about Christ's great love that shapes the way we walk because Jerry walked his faith. Jerry, a professor at Whitworth until his retirement this last year, was no stranger to dark times. It was 1991 when Jerry was driving his family and was hit head on by a drunk driver and instantly his mother, his wife, and his daughter were killed. He and three other children lived. And in the years that ensued, he had a very difficult journey into dark times. He blogs now at his name, jerrysitzer.com, I highly recommend it. And he writes this. He says, when we dare to trust that we're never alone but that God is always with us, always cares for us and always speaks to us, then we can gradually detach ourselves from the voices that make us guilty or anxious and thus allow ourselves to dwell in the present moment. This is a very hard challenge because radical trust in God is not obvious. Most of us distrust God. Most of us think of God as a fearful, punitive authority or as an empty, powerless nothing. Jesus' core message was that God is neither powerless weakling nor a powerful boss, but a lover whose only desire is to give us what our hearts most desire. And church, this is the kind of God First John is talking about. With a surge in skill, he's calling us to walk in the light, not from a posture of judgment, from a, but from an invitation to intimacy. A lover of our souls who says, come, let's take this deeper journey together. And this is the starting point, informed by these four words to build a life upon, loving God, loving others. And I dare say, church, that there's been fewer times in our 108 years as a church where our opportunity has been so clear, so compelling, and so timely. Uh, Jerry has written recently on an earlier blog post, he says, I still stand by this conviction. This is the church's hour. I want to say the same thing to us today. This is our hour. 
This is our time as a church to rebuild our credibility by loving God and loving others. And recently we've been inviting you to take the All Church Survey, and we can't wait to tell you uh, in February some of the things we've learned. Uh, Kind of a nod, uh, uh, under 25-year-olds, we need more of you. Over 75-year-olds, we want to hear from you as well. We want to hear from you all. And in in the season ahead, we'll be able to use that data of where you're flourishing in faith and where you're struggling in order to, uh, you know, disciple people better. We're going to, you know, tell more later. I can't tell a lot, but what I can tell you is this. We're really struggling in areas of relationship. We're struggling in our koinonia. We feel cut off. We're struggling with our relationships. But in Christ, First John says, as we move towards God, we move towards each other in community. Now, to illustrate this, I'll use a simple concept that comes from Henry Nouwen, who is a theologian and a pastor from the Netherlands. And what Nouwen said when he talked to people in the spiritual life is he talked about the wagon wheel principle. He said, in my home country, there were wagon wheels everywhere. And what Nouwen says about the wagon wheel is that to pray is to move to the center of all life and all love, to move towards the center. The closer I come to the hub of life, the closer I come to all that receives its strength and energy from there, the hub. My tendency is to get distracted by the diversity of the many spokes of life. And then I'm so busy that not truly life-giving, I'm all over the place and not focused, but directing my attention to the heart of life. I am connected with its rich variety while remaining centered. What does the hub represent? I think of it as my own heart, the heart of God and the heart of the world. And when I pray, I enter into the depth of my own heart and find there the heart of God who speaks to me of love. And I recognize right there the place where all of my sisters and brothers are in communion with one another. This is what it means to be a wagon wheel type church, seeking the center point of Christ. And this is where our fellowship is formed, not at the outskirts, but at the center and rediscovering koinonia of loving God and loving each other. So we, we start there, we move to the center. And then secondly, we commit to practice what we preach, to, to, to live out our truth. And if, this is, if I'm gonna say with declaration that there's never been a time like this, then there's also an invitation. We can do better as a church in the world, in Seattle, to practice what we preach. People are looking at the church to model the love of Jesus. And so it's as we commit to living and walking in the light that our, that our, our witness is redefined. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 7. This is the message we've heard from him and we declare it to you. This is the message, John's saying. God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, koinonia, and the blood of Jesus, his son, will purify us from all sin. See, church, sin has consequences in our life. It distorts God's light. And 1 John gives this imagery for the character of God as light. The Greek here is phos. It means to shine, to manifest, full of glory. God is light. God is true. God is good. It's all over the scriptures. Psalm 44, the light of God's presence. Psalm 104, God has wrapped himself in light as a garment. Ezekiel saw the light of God as as the glory of God and he fell face down. Hosea 6 talks about God's judgment as a light that goes out around the world. 
Isaiah calls for God's justice as a light for his people. John used the word light 30 times in the gospel of John. John 1, 4 says, in him was life, and the life was the light of all humankind. And so John says about the light, it's not only God's character, this lightness, but we are invited to walk in the light. This is a key phrase from chapter one, walk in the light. This key phrase and a key invitation. The Greek here is peripateo. It means to tread all around, to live, to follow, to build a life within. So John said, not only is God light, we are invited to build our life up into that light. Or as Ephesians 5 said, you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the Lord. And so walk as children of light. Friends, how we walk matters. It just does. And, and I've, I've said this before to you, I'll say it again. Nobody cares what you believe. They, they care what you behave. And all of us will struggle with this. So we're learners on the journey together. But how we walk matters. And how, okay, Scott, let's get a little bit practical. What does this mean? How do we walk in the light? This is where intimacy with Jesus is so powerful for us as disciples in this present moment. That means intimacy with God's word. Because remember what Psalm says, that your word is a light unto my path. And then prayer, experiencing more of God's light in our spirit. And it sounds easy. Okay, let's walk in the light. See you next week. You know? But the reality is for all of us, we're in this together. Darkness has a power to impede the light, right? Darkness has the ability to distort and bring elements of shame or discouragement or anxiety or fear. All of us are different, but all of us know and experience darkness. And so if we're gonna ask John, we're sitting around the fire like, okay, John, let's, let's get practical for people of faith. How do we walk in the light? John would say clearly, it's confession, it's confession. Confession has a bad rap as forcing people to live into an old narrative and we wanna free people from the forces of shame. But First John says the confession is entering into the purity offered to us by the blood of Jesus. And until we, in our modern context, we, Jesus followers, until we create pathways of freedom for our brain to travel from dark to light places, all of us will experience the darkness trying to catch our attention or keep us stuck. Until we, until we rewire our, our, our minds into the freedom of Christ, we will be stuck. But confession is that commitment to walk in the light. It's a, you know, a 2023 word for confession might be to rebound from the forces of sin and shame. Confession is a, is a rebound to help us walk lightly. Kurt Thompson, who's a friend of my wife now and a doctor of psychiatry and author of The Soul of Shame, has researched extensively neurology and the connection about the power of shame over our Christian faith. Kurt is a man of deep faith himself and a very uh, brilliant author understanding the effects of shame. And Thompson writes in The Soul of Shame, shame is the primary means to prevent us from using gifts we've been given. And those gifts enable us to flourish as a light-bearing community of Jesus followers who work to create space for others, who wish to join it to do so. Shame, therefore, is not simply an unfortunate random emotional event that came with us out of the primordial evolutionary soup. No, it's both the source and result of evil's active assault on God's creation and a way for evil to try to hold out until the new heaven and earth appear at the consummation of history. So, so how do we move from shame? Because it makes me angry, actually, because a lot of people I love are stuck in dark places, and the enemy is a liar. 
And if he can get your attention and keep you stuck and keep you distracted and keep you in places of shame and keep you in places of brokenness and make you feel that this narrative is for someone else's story, then the enemy wins. And Jesus came to set us free to follow him, to walk in the light. It's an open invitation of freedom and joy and purity. So how do, we, how do we disempower that voice of shame, which I don't know about you, but speaks loud and clear to me on some days? Thompson writes this. He says, to this God whom we meet in Jesus, we must direct our attention if we are to know the healing of our shame. We must literally look to Jesus in embodied ways, in worship and scripture and prayer, in embodied ways in order to know how being loved in community brings shame to its knees and lifts us up into acts of goodness and beauty. This is the gospel, friends. That Jesus came in order to take the dark and transform into light. And the enemy wants to keep the shame. That's the tactic. But the beginning of freedom is to walk in the light and to walk together. Because our koinonia, as we aim to that center point that is Christ, our fellowship with each other will be rebuilt. Verse 6 of chapter 1. If we walk in the light... We'll have koinonia with one another. It was like together we remove forces that keep people in dark places. Recently, an author by the name of Joe Blackman went to research why certain settings like nightclubs and bars intentionally created settings of darkness. And he wrote, the more we know that we are concealed by darkness, as humans, the less self-conscious we are. Darkness hides things. Darkness, Blackman goes on, heightens anonymity. The mask of darkness allows one to act other than themselves. The mask of darkness helps people act other than themselves. And so as we walk in the light, we come home to who we actually are. We come home to our true identity by the Father who loves us. And we've been bruised and bloodied by a world who wants to give us a false identity. But when we confess, we come home. Jesus is that force of joy and light that desires for us to walk in his presence, but to walk and have that kind of commitment, it will require you to do the looking into the dark of your life, looking under the status quo to say, how are things really going? Uh, to, an illustration about that, I'll call simply this move into the light, looking into dark places, I'll call it the possum principle, the possum principle. When we bought the house we currently live in, one of the great things we fell in love with, it was the cheapest house in the community we wanted to live in, and there was a hot tub. We're like, awesome, we love hot tubs. It was old, but seemed to work just fine. And when the contractor who did some of the work on the place handed us the keys, he said, everything's ready to go, except one thing. I think you have possums under your hot tub. Now, when somebody tells you that, you have two options. Option one, you go looking, like remove the fascia board, hire an exterminator or a you know, veterinarian, <laughs> like do some digging, do some work. Or option two, you can pretend that you didn't hear the advice that there are possums under the hot tub. And I'm sad to say that your pastor Scott did option two, like we would get in the hot tub and you'd hear this, yeah, I don't hear anything. Because when you look, I mean, there was like, there was some decking to remove and then like, well, what's really going to happen? And you know, we got to get to the carpool and life's busy at church and we just, we're just, you know, we're busy. I'll get to it later. I'll, I'll cut to the chase. Like 
There were possums living under the hot tub. <laughs> it did not end well. Oh, there's lots of sermons in that one. But we're just going to skip to the end. When we're presented with things that feel like warning signs, because the Spirit will speak to us, right? The Spirit will say, pay attention to this relationship. The Spirit will say, I want to invite your heart back to worship, or I want to see you in Scripture. I'd love to have, like, the Spirit speaks, friends. And when we are presented with things that we need to enter into or confess to be released of, We've got to do that work of looking what's underneath. And towards that end, there are practices. There's a practice that John invites us to, to move into the freedom. There's the practice that moves us into the freedom that is walking in the light. Look at 1 John 1, verse 6, 8, and 10. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So 1 John is very practical. It starts us on this road to simple faith with just saying there's a practice that will bring you the freedom you'll desire and it is confession. And if you, if you say there's no sin in you, you're, you're lying. And you make God out to be a liar. If you look at the, the deepening here from verse 6, 8, and 10, where John's warning us. It's like if you don't actually enter into the freedom that God wants for you in confession, not only are you not walking out your faith, you're actually making God a liar. I know it's really strong language, but A, it's in the Bible. And B, I think a lot of us can see this in our own families of origin. We look around for people that claim certain values and didn't live them out, and you see the lie exposed. And I'm like you. It's easier to see others' lies than our own. But the real impact of living in darkness is we remove ourselves from the light of God, and we're cut off from God and others. And so there's an invitation, because the warning here is hidden sin affects us all, both personal and systemic. But confession of sin brings us into the light. And yeah, that process can be very painful. But it's also very beautiful. Because when we confess, we're released from the impacts of darkness grip on our heart. And we get to enter in to the lightness and joy and purity. Shame says, I'm bad. Confession says, God, you're inviting me back. First Corinthians says, godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So if we confess God's identity is secure, he's faithful and he's just, and he will forgive us and he will purify us. It's just a promise. It's such an encouraging promise. We don't have to carry the weight of the world alone. But we're not great at it. We're not very good at it as a community. We're not. We don't talk about sin a lot in church. We don't do a lot of confession. So today we're trying to take a step forward. Oftentimes I can say, would you come forward and pray for somebody on your left or right? And people come. But if I say, I want you to come and be prayed for something you're struggling with, many of us choose to sit. And a false thing starts to happen because then some of the brokenness or darkness you might be struggling with, you feel alone because everyone else seems to have it all together, right? The center point is God, not our perfection. 
And so when we confess, we're drawing again on the koinonia of loving God and loving others. We're removing the effects of sin's grip on our hearts. The Hebrew for sin is kata, and it means to miss your way. That's the Cain and Abel story in Genesis. If you don't do what's good, kata, sin, is waiting at the door. The enemy wants to distract the light in your life. But when we come, when we confess, God says, now I can set you free. Now you've rebounded. Now I can bring you back. And so in this way, confession leads towards freedom. The gospel is not only that he died for our sin, but that he healed our sin. And he was raised up to forgive and redeem us and to live with him. How we enter that is confession. We come home. There's a great story uh, in a book that I read this fall on the father heart of God as I was just learning more about God's heart for us that I'll I'll tell in close and then lead us into an activity. And in uh, Pastor McClung's journeys around the world to talking about the father heart of God, he came across a young man named Sawant who had left his home at the Malaysia border and entered into a horribly sinful lifestyle. And as he left home, his life got worse and worse and worse, and I'll scare you the details. And Sawant knew he needed to come home. He needed to confess. He wanted to be restored. And so Sawant wrote to his father, Dear Father, I want to come home, but I don't know if you'll receive me after all I've done. I've sinned greatly, Father. There's the confession. Please forgive me. On Saturday night, Father, I'll be on that train that comes through our village. If you're still waiting for me that you said when I left home, will you tie a piece of cloth on the poetry in front of our house? Signed, Sawant. On the trade ride home, Swans reflected on his life over the last few years and, and knew that his father had every right to deny him. As the train finally neared the village, he churned with anxiety. What would he do if there was no white cloth on the poetry? Sitting opposite him was a kind stranger who noticed how nervous his fellow passenger had become. And so finally, Sawant could stand the pressure no longer. He blurted out his story in a torrent of words. And as he entered the village, Sawant said, Sir, the stranger sitting by him, I cannot bear to look. Can you watch for me? What if my father will not receive me back? Swamp buried his face between his knees in shame. Do you see it, sir? It's the only house with a poetry. Young man, your father did not hang a piece of cloth in the tree. But look, he's covered the whole tree with cloth. Swamp could hardly believe his eyes. The branches were laid in tiny white squares everywhere. In the front yard, his father was jumping up and down joyously waving this piece of white cloth and ran in halting steps beside the train. And when it stopped at the little station, he threw his arms around his son, embracing him with tears of joy. I've been waiting for you, said. I've been waiting. And when we confess, friends, our koinonia is restored. The love of God starts to make the pathways back to move us into that freedom and joy. And our relationships get restored. At the end of the first service, I asked people to respond, and then I said, you can just write down a confession and lay it on these steps, and if you want, you can kneel and pray. And so I, I go first, because leaders lead, not by having it together, but by saying, God, we failed, I've failed, but would you restore me first? And so I'm sitting here praying, and one of my confessions is, God, I want to be a better father. I want to lead my kids closer to your heart, and I'm, I'm like almost in tears there. And I'm praying, and then I look to my right, and my 10-year-old is kneeling beside me at the front here. See, this is what confession does. It gets us closer to each other. 
It brings us closer to the heart of God and it restores us. So I wanna pray for you and then I wanna lead an activity where we can move closer to God's heart together. Will you pray now? Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this church. And God, as we worship and we open up our hearts into a move of confession, I pray that you both reveal to us places of darkness that you want us to be free from. And then God, give us the courage to to let it go, to let it down, and to come home to the freedom and restoration that exists in our relationship with you, God. We're tired of making our own way and we're tired of the shame and we're tired of the brokenness. But God, lead us as people of light, walking in your light, walking in your freedom. We love you and we trust you. And God, we wanna look underneath what's really happening in our life. And all God's people said, amen. And your bulletin, when you came in, you received a note card. I encourage you to pull that out now. And if you didn't get a note card or you're at home, you can write on anything. Those of you in the room today, I do want you to have paper in front of you. So if you don't have the note card, don't let that be an excuse. Grab a bulletin or an offering envelope. And my hunch is that for all of you, as I was speaking, the Spirit was revealing some places of darkness. Something that's more dark than light in your life right now some dark habits, some darkness that's crept in on your marriage, some darkness you've experienced by your own choices or at the hands of another. And God wants to set you free this morning. It only happens not by us pretending that nothing happened, but by us declaring we're entering the freedom of God. And so as we sing this last song, I want you to write down a confession. This is an act of public confession. We don't do it enough. We're doing it today. We're doing it together. We're going to do this together. Will you trust me? We're going to do this together. We're going to all do this together. If it feels too vulnerable, you can write an X. You can draw a picture. You can write a code word. We're not not looking at other people's confessions. It's between you and Jesus this morning. I want you to write it down. And then I want you to be free from it. So you're going to bring it forward. And you're going to just litter the stage with your confessions. And if you want, you can kneel with me in the front and bring your confession right to the Lord, but you don't have to. Every one of us can just drop this piece of paper. Some may choose to kneel. There are prayer books on the left and right if you want to write a prayer to the Lord. And there are prayer ministers and some staff that would love to just speak a blessing over you. Be free. Walk in the light. He loves you. No judgment. If you want to step to our prayer ministers and receive a blessing, they're ready and waiting. So now write a confession to the Lord. And when your heart's ready, lay it out here. And let's worship God in confession together.